Yeah, open your Bibles if you could. I do want to look at one, a couple verses here. One of them is uh, 1 Samuel 10. And I actually preached out of this, I think about a month ago. But I'm returning to it because all this summer we are spending time really focusing on our history as we gear up to the uh, Legacy Conference, which is also our week of celebration for being 25 years old as a church. We started in 1996. It's a long story of how we got started. We actually receded out of Canada into the United States with $10,000, me, my wife, and four children. That was it. And uh, we got here, and I spent half that money on radio ads, $5,000, to buy 50 ads. And uh, because of those 50 ads, 92 people showed up at our first gathering on Friday the 13th, 1996, which was also Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of a new year. We believe that we entered into a time is that we didn't bring it. Obviously, we are partnering with everyone. We came, we entered into a time and a season where the promises are huge for Greater Cleveland, for Ohio too, but especially for Greater Cleveland. And along the way, words like the Gulliver word, where the head must rise and the head was in Cleveland and the head's gonna rise up. And of course, the, the championship of the NBA team, the Cleveland Cavaliers was a real tipping point. We believe we're in the, we're in the season of revival. The vapors are here. The, the consistency and the, the continuity of the revival is coming quickly. I feel it often. I see it often. But we're, we're calling it in. We're calling for a greater move of the Holy Spirit where thousands will be saved in Ohio, tens of thousands in Ohio. Or as Heidi Baker said, hundreds of thousands will be swept into the kingdom of God in this area. This particular property right here was called a place of refuge from a number of prophetic people. Uh, Ryan Wyatt, uh, 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 oh shoot, what's his name now? Um, Jeff Jensen, Jensen uh, Bob Jones, uh, a guy who I can't remember his name. <laughs> There's a bunch of them that came on the property and we're getting very similar words, you know. And so we started to realize this is a place of refuge. This is a place of Bethel. It's a place of of the move of the Spirit of God in power. And I encourage you to come to this conference. You say, well, I don't go to conferences. This is one you want to come to. And it's not just because of the speakers, although we have some amazing speakers. It's because of the pinnacle moment of the 25-year celebration. What we believe is about to pivot into another 25 years that's going to be slightly different, yet very much similar. But we're pivoting into a post-pandemic era. And we believe there's a lot of troubled times coming ahead, but we're going to be ready for it. And we're going to prepare people. We're going to equip people for the equipping. We're going to equip the saints for works of service to do what God's called us to do in this region. So I, for one, am very excited about that. We also are having not just uh, our key speakers, which were, who were they, Cindy? They're uh, the ones that just mentioned it. Brian Simmons is coming. Yes, Brian Simmons is coming. And also uh, Chris Fallerton, of course, is coming. And, and Mark Sharona. Brian Simmons, who's the author of the Passion Translation, it's caused a lot of controversy. I love it. I think it's beautiful. It's not my primary Bible, but I use it for reference. It goes back to the Aramaic. It's a great tool. And then finally, it's uh, Graham Cook. Graham Cook cannot come physically. He's actually uh, having some physical problems that limits him, but he's coming. He's going to uh, Skype Zoom in somehow. We're getting him in. And I talked to him just this past week, and we're getting him in for one session. So you don't want to miss that. 
and uh, that will not be you know live streamed it's something that's for the attendees you want to come last time we had a conference like this it shot up to 800 pretty fast and so it was packed out in fact the first one that we had to shot up to 800 actually COVID hit we had to cancel it till the fall and it came back strong so this will be a very strong conference I encourage you now Bethel, I love it when all Bethel people are part of the conference. I don't mind ministering to the whole region, blessing them and everything. People come, go back to their churches. That's awesome. But I, this is really for us and our friends. So let's make it more us and our friends than our friends and us. Okay, so sign up right now. And I think there's a, it's, is there a something that's ending pretty quick or? There's a change of price or something going on. Anyway, check it out on our website. Please get on board, and it's going to be a key part. I'm expecting some great prophetic outcomes in that conference. Hey, so look with me if you could. I think I already told you, First Samuel 10. As I want to just review briefly, and it's probably all I'm going to have time for. I, I uh, pushed this service a little bit this morning because I'm not speaking in Middleburg today. So I'm going to hang out afterwards. So if we, we may run a few minutes after. If we do, feel free to get up at any time and leave. I'm not, I'm not bothered by that. If you've got some appointment or you've got to go to work or something like that, feel free to get up and leave. But hang out because God's speaking something in this hour right now that is unique for this time and has been for about five weeks. I don't, if you, I don't know if you've noticed. I have. There's been an increase of the presence of God and his voice over the past five weeks. And uh, I believe it's due to a couple things maybe we can talk about later on. But the important thing is God is here. And if we can see him, if we can get into a place where, and by seeing him, it's the adjusting and alignment of our lives as a person of hunger and desperation before God. That is one of the most attractive things in heaven. Someone says that, uh, you know, desperation won't get you God. I, I beg to differ. Desperation is a, is a form of faith. When you turn to God out of desperation, that's faith. And so in desperation, the Bible says the Lord heard the cries of Israel and went to release them and redeem them out of Egypt. He hears your cries right now in this difficult time. I went through my own challenge this week. I mean, I felt like the whole year and a half of what we've been running through and everything kind of came to a culminating moment this week with me. I'm still not sure why, but I had a little bit of a meltdown this week and I had to, I had to overcome, I had to fight through it. I had to overcome it. We're all going through this at one point or another. And I'm not even sure why it was. It may have just been a, a demonic attack. I believe those happen. And I believe that sometimes I am the victim of that. So I'm going to come out on the other side as a victor and not a victim. But I was, I was studying this this week and I want to, I want to, before I get into first Samuel there, I want to just talk about these couple books, and this is all a part of our summer and our history. There's several books that have really shaped me in recent years on the early church. I've been a student of the early church for, I was going to say 2,000 years. That's not right. I've been a student of the early church, it feels like it, for my entire adult life, since I was probably uh, second year, third year in college, when I read a book that really changed, radically pivoted. Uh, my thoughts and changed the rest of my life really called The Problem with Wineskins by Howard Snyder. I'm not even sure if you can get it now, but it was a great book. It may seem very elementary now, but in the 70s, it was rock solid. It was a great book. And since then, I've read a number of books. I read a lot. And this book has probably been the single best book I've read in a long time on this topic 
of the early church. I'm curious, what was it like? And there's a lot of writing on it, actually. And with the, uh, uh, the fathers of the church, their church fathers, uh, these, you know, particularly latter, first, second, and third century, there's a lot of information coming out uh, that is only a couple generations away from Christ that are pretty reliable about what it was like and what happened. There's early documents we can read. This book is called uh, The Spirit of Early Christian Thought by a guy named uh, Wilkin. Wilkin has got several books. They're all great. I'm only telling you because I may refer to it in a few minutes. And some of you like reading that kind of stuff. It's a good book. It'd be my first choice. But also recently I've been reading First Urban Christians by Meeks. It's another good one. Uh, The First Thousand Years... Oh, First Thousand Years by Wilkin, same author. It's great. It goes a little bit deeper in how the church developed over that first thousand years. Magnificent, uh, challenging book to read. Uh, thick book, because it's covering a thousand years. But if you want to get into something that's going to challenge you beyond just a daily devotional, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but this will take you a little bit uh, deeper understanding. One of the books that also pivoted me early on in the late, uh, uh, it would be, I believe the late 80s, How the Irish Saved Western Civilization uh, by Cahill, which was recommended by Mike Bickle. I got that. It got me on a whole track of Celtic uh, worship from uh, the 5th and 6th and 7th century. I now have 30 books on that. I, I love the Celts. And then I found out in the middle of reading all those that I am a Celt. And uh, that was a great surprise. And uh, so I understood a lot more about myself uh, when I understood what the Irish are really like. Sorry. Strange, I get emotional when I talk about the Irish. Uh, Ecclesia is the recent one that I read by Ed Silvosa. And uh, great book. I love Ed Silvosa. He has a great book on business also, anointed for business. But this book called Ecclesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, a great book that will really tell you. The reason this is important is I'm talking a little bit about the church today. The church right now in America is going through a turning inside out. Oh. It's like you're, you know, you get your clothes and they, you, you got to turn them inside out to wash them or something like your jeans or whatever. It's recommended. And you, you turn them inside out. Right now, it's like the Lord's reaching into the very core of the historic church and he's pulling it out. I mean, I felt it a couple years ago and talked about it. And I knew it was coming because of a dream I had in 99 about the Chinese and what happened actually in 2020 last year. My mind has been focused on this my entire adult life. I'm a church guy. I know there's church ladies. I'm a church gentleman, I guess. And I, uh, I believe in the church. It's the Lord's girlfriend and we'll be his bride. And you say, well, it's not the organizational church. I, I, would, I would argue with that. Did you know that all the epistles are written to specific churches? There's this whole theory of the nomadic Christian that wanders out there, well, I'm, if the church is universal and I'm a part of the church. That may be true, 2% of that's true. Broadly, you, the, the Christian faith is not called for individuals, believe it or not. Only Americans of faith uh, think that way. The kingdom of God came to people. That's why there's tribes in the Old Testament. He came to tribes. And initially, the Lord proved this when he created Adam, which was his first church plant in the Garden of Eden. 
And he realized very quickly, this is probably not a revelation for God, he knows all things. But for our sake, he declared something and said, after a time, we don't know if it was hours or days or what it was, but he turned and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve. And the two of them are actually called Adam. They're, they're mankind, they're personhood. And, and the first team was formed and they didn't make really good decisions initially. They had to go through a difficult time and they learned and we started on the whole process. And what's been happening for thousands of years now is the restoration, this is my opinion, from studying scripture, from what I read, we are quenching the very thirst of God right now. Now God doesn't get thirsty, you know what I'm saying. But we are quenching the very thirst of God. He longs for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He longs for a church that is victorious. God bless, I, I know a lot of people are critical of the Catholics. I am not. Any church that survived 2,000 years is a good church. They have ups, they have downs. Some of you may have situations from the Catholic church where there's abuse, pain, disappointment, whatever it might be. I get that, that's humankind. It happens everywhere. It happens in the Kiwanis. And so it also happened in the church. But the church is a little different. We have different goals. We have a different goal. We have a different mission. We have a different leader. Jesus Christ, who pursues us in the mountains and comes down to our house and knocks on our door and says, come out, come out, wherever you are, as the Song of Solomon says. He's calling for us to come out. He longs for the church. He longs for his bride. The Bible says he skips and leaps through the mountains. He's excited about it. He's excited about a church, an end-time church. I don't believe that the church is going to go out with its last breath just kind of claw, claw, clawing its way into the front gates of the kingdom. Rather, I believe what this text says in Scripture, that it will be a mighty, warring church without spot or wrinkle. And it takes faith to believe that. Because I'm a church man, I grew up in the church. Methodist Church in Lakewood. I, I slept in the hard wooden pews up there when I was two years old. Eventually, we got over to the Baptist church. They had some cushioned seats. We tried to make it as easy to sleep as possible. And from there to Assembly God Church on Pleasant Valley Road, where I heard things about the Holy Spirit I'd never heard before at age eight. I'd just given my heart to the Lord. I was a good Baptist. And then all of a sudden, I realized there's more. There's not just this, the, the father, father and Son. There's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to move in power. Not only will he be your protector, he'll be your comforter, but he will equip you, he will charge you, he will give you wisdom, he will move you through a life where you will reign in life, whatever that means to you, R-E-I-G-H-N, G-N, R-E-I-G-N, yes, that's it. Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Why? When the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, which was through Jesus Christ. He will reveal Jesus. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, it's not even entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared. But through his spirit, he will awaken you to the power of Christ and who he is. And so by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ and our loving Father, who gives every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Woo! I love that verse in the 90s. <laughs> That's when I first really got attached to it, you know. I love that, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus working together to pull this bride together. Right now, we're not, we're not where we should be. 
But this isn't about coulda, shoulda, wouldas. This is about us coming together and making a covenant understanding to be with other people we may not even like. Turn to the person next to you and say, this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> I mean, some of you are sitting over here because someone else is sitting over there. You didn't get that, did you? It's nice having multi-site, even people that get divorced, they can go to the same church, different campus. <laughs> Not too much laughing on that. It's kind of true. But the Lord's pulling us together. There's uniting going on around the world right now. And when I got the invitation two years ago to go to the Vatican, I was like, what? What? And uh, 40 of us were going to gather during COVID year. Of course, it didn't happen. Because the Catholic Church is hungry for the Holy Spirit to be more involved in their local parishes. So the Catholic Church formed this confab between 40 Catholics and 40 Charismatics, Protestants that could come together for five days, which Cindy and I were going to go to in uh, April of 2020 in, in my dreamland in Italy. You know, it was just great. I thought, wow, what an amazing thing. This is, it's now been postponed to 2022. We may do it then. We're hoping COVID will finally be all variants. We'll, we need to stand against this thing, I tell you. We really do, corporately. Uh, it needs to go. It's, it's uh, hindering so many things worldwide, causing so much distress in people. So, uh, but we're going, and I, I'm so looking forward to it still, this year and a half later, you know, because it, what it means is there's, there's a coming together of the Catholic Church, which has an amazing history that the Protestant Church does not have. But the Protestants have something of the spirit that at times has been lacking in the Catholic Church because of their 2,000 years of existence. And the Lord's bringing some together. That was to me hints of, because man cannot create that. Let me just tell you, man cannot create that. In fact, right now we're working on a, a, a commitment with the Pope right out, of, right out of Cleveland, Ohio. We're working on, on a, an agreement with the Pope to do everything we can to bring Catholic understanding and Protestant understanding together for the benefit of, of John 17, that Jesus might see his church as one in our lifetime. So I get excited about that because I'm a church guy. I've been in there my whole life. I went and studied at a church university. You know, I, I, I studied at, uh, to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And all, why? Because my love for the church and the bride, obviously in a primary way for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm interested in what he's interested in. And he's interested in a people that will not bicker, will not fight. We're not schism off all the time, all the time, all the time. Protestants are protesters. Protestant, we protest. We've been protesting now for 500 years. And as a result, Catholics have two churches. The, you want to count the Orthodox, the split around 1,000. You got Catholicism Orthodox, that was the two. You had one big split. Protestants have split over 60,000 times. 60,000 denominations in Protestantism. So I look at it and I go, much healing is needed in the body of Christ. What we say when we put them down in the water, it causes new churches. The color of carpet you get up front causes new churches. I mean, we're up in Middleburg and we were at a uh, uh, meeting in the senior center, which is across the street from our 
our uh, church campus up there in Middleburg on Bagley Road. We finally got a church building in 04. It was right across the street. I mean, I was excited about it. I was like, woohoo! <laughs> I've been praying for that building for a while. I knew it needed work, still does. But uh, hey, we're gonna have a facility so we don't have to rent this smoke-laden uh, senior center. It was pretty bad. I mean, you leave there with smoke, feeling, smelling like smoke all over your clothes, you know, because Saturday night, they playing bingo all night, you know, and there's a lot of smoke there. So uh, we got across the street, and I was excited about it. One of the prisoners came up and said, hey, just want you to know, someone who'd been with us for a long time came up and said, we can't, we can't move across the street. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't feel right. And I thought, it's, it's like two, 200 feet. He said, I know, just don't feel right about it. You know, in moments like that, I think we're missing something. We're really missing something. If it just takes that much to sever you off into something else and to define it as hearing the word of the Lord, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do, personally. I'm not saying that you're going to be in the same building for everyone, with everyone the rest of your life. I, I'm, I know that. Things happen. Jobs shift. You know, circumstances shift. People come. People go. But God has called us to end nomadic life, end, E-N-D, end nomadic life, which is so attractive sometimes. I mean, Abraham, our father, he started as a nomad. He lived in a city called Ur. He wandered up the Euphrates River, got to another place called Haran, and there the Lord really spoke to him clearly to go out beyond water. Now, you've heard me say this before because this is impressed in my mind for about 20 years since I read a book. Uh, it was a secular book, obviously, but ancient history, people governed their geography by water. I mean, in ancient history, most people would not go from the day of their birth to the day of their death any farther than 20 to 30 miles from where they were born. For thousands of years. Why? Because of water. I don't know what's out there. There's no communication. Is there any water there? Occasionally travelers would come in and say, hey, there's water about 30 miles out there. Okay, let's go to the edges of it because we know we'll survive if we go there. Abraham is believed in history to be the first man that went somewhere that there was no guarantee of water. He led, he was not led by water, he was led by a voice. And when the voice spoke, he moved. It was very clear, usually with a physical manifestation. And on major decisions, you need high-level manifestation in your life to make a decision who you're getting married, where you're going to go. I mean, practical things of life. You, you spend time in the presence of God. You hear his voice. You do those things. But when it comes to major things that are going to shape the rest of your life, you need to really know you're hearing from God. Yeah. Does anyone agree with that? Yeah. You really do. You're buying a house. I mean, you need, you need confirmation on some stuff. You're getting married. You need like double confirmation on some stuff. You know, if you're, if you're doing, moving geographically, geography is major. Some people believe that geography is the number one decision you make in life. They're not Christians, of course, that say it, but it is an interesting concept. Because where you go determines health, determines future, determines opportunities, may determine who you marry, may determine your future, your legacy, and everything else. Ge geography is sacred. It's the sacred things you bring before the Lord and you get him to speak to you and communicate to you about that. So anyway, this... Uh, this verse I want to read, which sounds like it's going to be at the end of my sermon rather than the beginning, which is a bad habit I used to have and I thought I broke. But anyway, 1 Samuel 10 says this in verse 6, and the spirit of the Lord God will come upon you. Now this is a fulfillment. Let me just give you this part because I know this, I can do this pretty quick. 
The church is the dream of Jesus. And he is always trying to create something that's gonna manifest not just in individuals, but manifest corporately in a group of people that are followers of his. Of course, he had Israel. Israel split up between Israel and Judah. He more favored Judah in that situation, which means praise. And goodness came out of Judah in the midst of it, and eventually there be a reunification of that. But the first king is King Saul. King Saul had a difficult ending, as we know. Terrible ending, really. But his beginnings had great intentions from God. That the Lord submitted to having a, I shouldn't say submitted, it's not the right word, but he agreed to, acquiesced, I should say, to allow a king. He wanted, Jesus, God wanted to be king, but Israel wanted a physical, earthly king. So he gave him Saul. And many sermons have been preached about this, and I won't go into it, but Saul is interesting because Samuel uh, prophesies, the prophet Samuel prophesies over Saul and kind of commissions him into what he's about to do. And so this commissioning is interesting because it's a commissioning of a personal destiny, but it's also a commissioning about being affected by a group, being touched by the Holy Spirit, and then being able to affect a nation. That's the way God moves. God's gonna give you a personal encounter with the Lord. You're gonna experience the Lord, but it's unto a greater destiny in your life, and that destiny includes a collective bonding with another group of people that will change you into another person. That is the church. The church is meant to be a place that is not perfect. It's moving toward perfection. What is that? It's a asymptote, I think. It's in mathematics. It's, it's a line that comes close to a second line. Looks like it's going to touch, but never touches. It'll only touch in the presence of the living Christ in heaven. One day we will all be drawn together. But here on earth, we are seeking, like Augustine of the fourth century, we are seeking for something that we know is impossible on this realm, but we pursue it anyway. We do church. Say church isn't a building. It was not a number of places in the Bible. In fact, Jesus, it's interesting, when Jesus started the church and initiated the church, he looked for a building. He said, you'll go into town and this is what I want you to do. And they secured a building that they had used before. Most theologians believe this, that the upper room was the place. They had the Last Supper. They had various gatherings. They must have known maybe the guy who owned it uh, was a, a follower of Jesus. I don't know. But they discovered it. I think they discovered it by the Lord saying, you'll find somebody with a pitcher of water. And when you do, go up. And that's how Jesus finds buildings, you know. You, you find a guy with a pitcher of water, go up, and there'll be a building there. And tell them that the master needs the building. I mean, that's how it works in the Jesus world. And so they had a building, and he told them to gather there. And he, the Bible doesn't say that this part of it, but the Bible says until you be endued with power. The interesting thing is, is that when the Holy Spirit came, they were in one accord. So it sounds like it took 10 days, which is how long they were in that building, 10 days to get to one accord. Imagine after 10 days, you don't know it's going to be 10 days. You may be suspicious because you're coming up on a big holiday, which is called Pentecost. And God seems to like to move through the Jewish calendar. 
And so they could be a little suspicious, like, I wonder if he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. I wonder if that, that would make sense, wouldn't it? I don't know. But it says, suddenly it came on the day of Pentecost when they were in one accord, which makes me wonder what happened in those 10 days. I mean, the first day was like, woohoo, we're going to be baptized. Something powerful is coming. I don't know what it is. It's going to be amazing. Day two, you're like, all right, here we are, second day. It's going to be good. Something amazing. By day three, you're like, what, what exactly did Jesus say? That we're to stay until we be endued? Have we been endued? Have you been endued? Do you feel endued? No, I don't, I don't, think, I've, I don't think it's quite risen. To, I mean, we had good worship time this morning. It was really good what Philip did. But, you know, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say endued. I mean, we've had a lot of those kind of worship times, but this isn't an undoing time, I don't think. Okay, let's wait one more day. Day four. It's like, anyone feel endued? No. By day five, they're like, you know what, since we're here, Alexander, come over here, Matt. I just want to know. I've had problems with Alexander. Everyone's like, oh. I've had problems with Alexander. Alex, would you forgive me? I, I, you know, that thing that happened, we don't have to tell everyone, but anyway, would you forgive me? And I, you know, I just, you know, while we're here waiting to be endued, I want to do something. And so I'm going to do this thing that's going to clear up the air a little bit. Sure, now all of a sudden that, oh, we don't know this happened. I'm speculating right now, but I believe around the room something was going on. I think the Holy Spirit was already moving in the room. He's pulling people together and there's this crescendo moment where they're moving to a place of maybe day eight, they're like, look, I don't care. I'm staying here 30 days. If it takes 30 days, what if it takes a year? Then we're here for a year. We'll Uber in. We're staying here until we get into somewhere there was a moment and then they went to sleep that night and they got up the next day and a whirlwind came into the city. A whirlwind of fire. And it lands upon that place and fire is on their head and they, they are all endued with power by the Holy Spirit. That is the birth of the church. They had a building they had time together. They worked things out with one another. And when they did, boom, the Holy Spirit came in great power. I can almost tell the health of a church by the health of worship. We come on Sunday morning, the Spirit's moving. I'm like, oh, the Spirit's happy today. The Spirit of God feels freedom to move when there's no bitterness and no anger. It's really one of the reasons we need to, that's why, did you know what the central part of the first century church was? The central reason for gathering in the New Testament church, what do you think it would be? No, not worship. Fellowship, no. The Eucharist. Breaking the bread and drinking the wine was the central thing. That's how it started really. Getting together, breaking bread from house to house. You know what it was? And they knew they were so, they knew it was so sacred, they could not do it flippantly. Like, where do they get these things? That didn't even taste like anything. It tastes like styrofoam. So they weren't focused on that. They understood the bread wasn't the bread. The bread was his body. The juice wasn't the juice. The juice was his blood. And they took it probably in the, in the understanding of transubstantiation. That this was, that this is literally the body and blood of Jesus. That's been carried around the Catholic Church for a long time. Protestants don't believe that. I understand that to me. It kind of doesn't matter. I believe, you know, if you're tied in with faith, it is what it is. 
Jesus said, this is my body. And so when you do that, when you're taking the body and blood of Jesus, there's something that should be happening internally, not in a casual way. In fact, the Bible says some of you have slept as a result of this, and it's not about falling asleep in church. It's a euphemism for death. That some of you that take it out of wrong motive end up in very difficult situations. And so it's like, it's sacred. And so when you take the bread and the juice, you can't take it if you have ought, as the Bible says, against somebody else. And you, you kind of can't say, well, hey, I need to get that cleared up this week. I mean, the early days of, of my church life in the late 70s and 80s, it was taken very seriously to the point where there was a lot of movement during the service when we're taking communion. And, and the biggest lineups were with me. I've said that over and over again. People say, I have a problem with you. You know, I mean, every Sunday it's like, this is embarrassing. There's 20 people lined up to talk to me about their anger toward me, frustration, you know. I mean, it's just like they come up, I go, I forgive you, I forgive you. I felt like a priest. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, you know, whatever I did that caused that. And, and, and then if you didn't remember what caused them to get angry, then they really got angry. You don't even remember? I've been thinking about it all week. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't. I offend people regularly. It's my ministry. I'm used to this, you know. Who I am kind of offends people. You know, so I'm sorry. You know, I did a lot of that in the early days. Fortunately, you don't do a lot of that anymore because the Eucharist has kind of chilled down a little bit. Let me just tell you something, though. The power of the body and blood of Jesus Christ forces a body to be welded together. And if you're just having glim thoughts of running here, doing here, doing that, you know, that are not led by the Lord, some of it roots back to the communion within the church. That this is our body. This is our expression of the body of Christ. God's called us to come together. And as he commissioned Saul, he sent him out. I'm sorry, a little bit over. You're going to say next week, I hope you do go up to Middleburg Heights. This is going long. He commissions him out. He's commissioned by a word. That's what we believe here in this church, that we're sending you out with a word. We're sending you out with a, uh, an understanding that you're a king in the making. That's exactly what it was with Saul. Directed by a word of God. You have a destiny. It says that he was a commander. And we're giving you a path. We're saying, as you go out today, and I want to prophesy this over you right now. As you go out today, you're going to encounter groups of people that are going to transform you. And he gives specifics here, as I mentioned probably a month ago, and this brings me down to the verse in 1 Samuel 10, 6. It says, then when he encountered these people that were coming off the mountain. Remember about two months ago, I preached on mountain people. That's when I touched on this, the encounter that transforms. Listen to this. This is Bethel, Cleveland. A band of worshiping, prophesying tribe that transforms. This is the ultimate goal. I will not rest satisfied till I see this regularly coming out of this church. Bands of worshiping, prophesying people that transform everywhere they go. They don't even have to be going on a mission. It's when they show up. The Holy Spirit is with them. They prophesy. They are worshipers and transformation takes place in people's lives. That's why we need to get out there. You know, year, the past couple years we've been going to the fest. My good friend, Father Bob here at the Catholic Church uh, in Brunswick does this fest where they draw 30 to 50,000 people. I only heard about it about five years ago. I'm like, what? We need to be there. So I made friends with Father Bob. He invited me to get a booth out there. In the past two years, we'd go out there. We had a booth and we would just be that worshiping tribe. 
They had great worship going on there, but when he encountered people with the intention that the presence of God that has been built up with us by his extreme grace and mercy, because we behold his face, we put him number one in our lives, we've forgiven one another, we've done the Eucharist, we've connected in such a way where our aughts have been cured and pured so that we can walk with, with, as the Bible says, that we can lift up holy hands before God. As we do that, then we meet people and there's a transformation that takes place. Not because of our efforts or our works, it's because of our drive of love that's within us. And I love going out there ministering to the Catholics. I mean, 30, 40,000 of them, you know, they come by our booth and we bless them, you know, and Spirit of God healed people, touched people, just great things happened. And so they had, they had string instruments, tambourines, flutes, harps. And it said, and the harp, it's interesting, I just saw this this week for the first time, but the, the worshiping part of the group went before the rest of the group. So the worshipers came out and then the prophesying animals came out, prophesying to them, prophesying with them. Here's what happened to, to Saul who was probably far from this in his own life. It says in chapter 10, verse six, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Wow. Yeah. Or a woman. Let's all stand together if we could. 16 minutes late. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Here's the deal. There's no way around it. This is who we are. This is who we've been for 25 years. We are worshipers. We believe in the prophetic, the word of the Lord coming forth out of normal people. Imperfect, normal people like you and I. What a joy it is to be used by the Lord. What a joy it is to be a conduit of God's presence. What a joy it is, even when I'm having a bad day. This week was the first time I said no to the Lord, probably in 30 years that I can remember, where he gave me a very specific thing and I said no. And I felt it for about 24 hours. I don't think he was ticked or anything like that. I just thought he's like, hmm. Interesting. Angels, stay away for a little bit. <laughs> he might hit you. <laughs> but there's an eternal cleansing that God is doing in our midst. It's so important that we walk in purity before the Lord. We're not perfect, but, but we're pursuers. The Lord said, be holy as I am holy. If you're living with someone and you're not married, it's not holy. If you're hooked in addictions, the Lord invites you to come out. He'll help you. It's unholy. It's hindering you. If you've got anger that has been deeply seated in your heart, you believe it's, it's because you're Irish or you're Italian or you're whatever you are, you know. You may be living in a deception. Actually, you are. And you need to come out. And we seek purity. We cannot hold things against one another in the body of Christ. I've seen so much of it in the past month. Broadly in the body of Christ. And I think, Jesus, Lord, I'll give them some grace because of COVID, you know, but I say, Lord, calm these hearts, heal them, bring forth a spirit of forgiveness. For better is the blood of Jesus than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel was, demands justice. A lot of demanding of justice right now. That's the blood of Abel. 
because a brother killed a brother. It doesn't need justice. But this blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's the blood of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the justice will not come in our lifetime, but forgiveness can come instantly. And so right now across this room, if you're here today, maybe you're living in sin, you're actively in sin, so you know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I mean, you, that's, that's the pay for it, death. It's not just eternal death. It's about, I shouldn't say not just, it's that, but it's, it's death in this life. You're either living or you're dying. And if you've got sin in your life, it's a gnawing cancer. You gotta, you gotta, Jesus, let your blood come and overpower us, Lord. There's a blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, this is your time right now. Or if you've stumbled away, you've fallen away, you've sought other things trying to fill the void that's in your heart. People have been debating that void for 2,000 years, thousands of years. What is that thing that's empty in us that's only filled in Jesus Christ? It is the God-shaped vacuum in every life. Only God can fill it. I've talked to a lot of rich people in my life and there's a certain level of joy. Statistics say that over $70,000 a year, you have no greater joy than you did prior to 70,000. <laughs> that's weird. That's a secular statistic. You can make 500,000 thinking you're gonna have more joy, but really at 70, it cuts off. That's the greatest joy you're gonna get from money that you've had in your whole life. <laughs> no, I don't think I could afford a Porsche at 70 if I had my Porsche. That's what I say. I'd be much happier. No, no, there's a void there that you're never gonna fill. And it's shaped just like Jesus. <laughs> and you put him in there and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Woo, it's not perfect from there on, but boy, the perfect is living in you. And now you start to see things very different. And your life and your arrangement of your life starts shifting. You drop off certain friends that you know are holding you in a bad lifestyle. You embrace new friendships. You build community. You have a tribe. You begin to run after you. You get restored. And then you feel I'm called as an ambassador to take the restoration of love that came into my life to everyone I come to. Then you become the church that is sent out apostolically and touches people. That's the life we live. If you're here now and you've never asked Jesus into your life, I think we had 14 people, 12 to 14 people last week give their lives to Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. If you're here today. It's simple, really. Jesus made it that way. He did all the work for you. All you have to do is say, I accept Jesus. And we add things to it just to help build a stronger foundation. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yeah. But even if you're still wrestling with that, I, there's, there's a big question on this. If you say, I want Jesus, I follow Jesus, when does salvation kick in? When are you born again? I think when a hungry person turns his eyes and longs for Jesus, the power of God comes in him to create salvation. It's the longing, the hunger in your heart. If you're here right now, maybe you've never asked Jesus in your life, or you have and you've wandered off, and this is your day to come back. We're going to start over in this section over here. I think you guys were hell a few weeks ago, weren't you? So there should be a good response over here. If you're over in this section, you never asked Jesus in your life, or you've wandered off. Just boldly and bravely before people. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand out in the aisle or anything like that. 
But I do want you to raise your hand because we want to pray for you in just a minute. If you're here and you say, you know, I've either never given my life to Jesus. I'm not even totally sure what it means. But I do know that I'm, I'm empty and I believe in Jesus and I need change in my life. If that's you over here, just raise your hand or you've wandered off and you're coming back. Raise your hand around there. I want to make sure I don't want to miss anybody in this section. Yeah, I see that hand right there. Bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else back here? It's been a lot of wanderers. A lot of people wandered off. God's calling you back right now. You're getting in. <laughs> You're getting in at a key time right now. This is a good time to follow Jesus. Anyone else? Last time for this section. You can even come up afterwards. We're always available for that. But there's something powerful about a public proclamation of raising your hand saying, I'm in. I'm in. If that's you, last time in this section over here, anybody? All right, thank you. Here in this middle section, anybody? You do not know Jesus or you wandered off some years ago. Just raise your hand real quick. I want to pray for you. Anyone here in this middle section? I know you were heaven a couple weeks ago. But it's not that heavenly. There's something going on here. So if that's you, you say, I need Jesus in my life. Just raise your hand right now. Okay. Finally, this section over here. Anyone here says, I do not know Jesus. I'm wandered off. You say, I'm I'm broken. I long for him. I need him so desperately in my life. You feel that longing in your heart right now. Just raise your hand over in this section. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody here? Boldly, courageously, just say, that's me. Just raise your hand. Anyone here? All right, if we can bring our teams up here. They're already up here. Just spread out across the front. We're going to dismiss here in two minutes. And as we do, sorry for going over. This is kind of new to me where I'm experimenting with some things. Um, Let me bless you. And, uh, and then when we're done, anyone who needs any ministry at all, particularly that one person to raise their hand, feel free to come up. And anyone else who des- desires to say, I want to give my life to Jesus, come up and tell them. They'll pray for you. We'll give you a book. You'll be on your way. I'd love for you to be a part of this tribe, this community as we grow together. Rest of you, any physical, financial needs that you might have, these are trained warriors up here in the front. They'll pray for you. They're prophetic people. They'll speak good things over your life preferred futures. Just come up to the front. We'll pray for you. But let me bless you. I bless you, Bethel Cleveland. You're rising up. You're lying down. You're coming in. You're going forward. May the favor, grace, and mercy of God richly rest upon you every moment of every day of this week. May you feel the Holy Spirit's breath upon you, the wind of God guiding you. I pray that you would be protected, secured, healthy, strong, and improving in an understanding of the grace of God and his great love over your life. We bless you in that as believers in Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you for being patient with me. And uh, don't forget, sign up for the conference. We really need you to get signed up for that. You have a great week. God bless.